Hi guys, this is Anna Brandt. Let's talk about fear and how, I mean, I think it becomes absolutely ridiculous after a while that it becomes an excuse after an excuse to not get anything done because we're afraid of fill in the blank. And at what point do we get tired of hearing about our own excuses and fear of failure? At what point do we just say is enough is enough so that we can live the life that we're really supposed to live? You are listening to the Anna Brandt Podcast for the year 2022. Anna Brandt has been a professional photographer for over 23 years and has taught worldwide in over 34 countries and continues to educate in person and online. My name is Ava Brandt and I am happy to welcome you to the fourth season of my mom's podcast channel. We hope you subscribe and stick around. I mean, what are we so afraid of anyway? And what is the point of this podcast and what am I going to talk about? I'm going to talk about fear. The reason I'm going to talk about it is, you know, every single day I feel like I talk to somebody about something and fear creeps up in the conversation. And I just feel like, I just feel like it's ridiculous. I feel like it's such an excuse for not doing things. And at what point, at what point do we just say, forget the fear and do it anyway? So you're going to probably want some examples, right? So let's talk about it. You know, let's talk about travel. You know, when COVID happened and the world shut down, that really, you know, put a lot of fear out there. And before COVID, a lot of people had fears of travel anyway. And then when COVID happened, oh my gosh, it just set all of our fears in crazy motion, myself included. I was afraid that if I would get sick, I would get a baby sick. And oh, I would have nightmares of like headlines of Anna Brand, famous baby photographer, just infected all these babies with COVID. I mean, fact, I actually had terrible thoughts that that was going to happen. And so I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything because, you know, I was afraid of getting anybody sick. And I finally had to make a conscious decision to say, well, I'm going to put my mask on and I'm going to do all the things that I do. And I've just, I've got to do my job anyway. I mean, what's the alternative? I just don't work. And there were photographers who just did not want to go back to work and they just allowed fear to set in. And so the people who were afraid of travel before COVID, oh my gosh, once COVID happened, that just manifested. And, you know, I've had my own fears of travel. You know, I've shared before that, you know, before I started traveling as a photographer, I had only been out of the country one time and that was to Mexico for my honeymoon. I hadn't been anywhere else out of the country. And so when I went on my first trip to Brazil, I was terrified. Not only was I terrified at just going to Brazil by myself, but it didn't help when I would start talking to people and they would put their own fears upon mine. You ever have that happen where you're afraid you're nervous about something. So then you talk to other people and they're afraid and nervous too. So then they're like, oh yeah, totally agree. And they start giving and passing all their, their self-doubts to you. And then by the time you're done, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do it because she has the same fears. And so why do it? Fortunately, I have a sister who's very fearless. And when I asked her to go with me, she said she would fly from New York. I would fly from California. We'd meet in Sao Paulo. And 
I was calling her and talking to her and I've shared this story before and I was terrified and she was like, you got this. And she was praying with me the whole way. And, you know, thanks to her, she got me there. Had I not had her, would I have gone anyway? I'm sure I would have, but she definitely made it easier. But maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe I would have allowed that fear to set in and I would have never discovered the beautiful people that I met in Brazil and ended up going to Brazil five more times after that and speaking to hundreds of people and participating in many events over there. And had I allowed that fear to set in, I would have never experienced all of that. You know, I've now been to 35 countries since that country. Now, have I been afraid and nervous? Of course. You know, it's always at the 11th hour, we're like Googling to find out if we need a visa. And I've had situations where my passport, I've run out of pages and I need to get a new passport immediately. And, you know, I remember traveling with my kids from Thailand to India and there weren't enough pages in my passport and they weren't going to let me go to India. I mean, I could share stories and stories and stories. And in each one of those stories, I had a choice to either allow fear to take over so much that it would impede me doing the work that I'm supposed to do, or I say, nope, we got to fight the fear and we have to do it anyway. And you know, I've, I've trained thousands of photographers over the years and had I allowed my own fears and insecurities to take over, I would have never trained any of those photographers. I would have never went to any of those countries. So many people want to travel, but the fear of getting on a plane, packing their gear and the thousand other things literally halts them in their tracks and they don't do it. They don't get on planes or trains. They just don't do it. There are some people where they are so wrapped up in fear, they don't even want to leave their house. You know, I teach as well as run my photography studio and have clients and the fear of teaching is everywhere. I get emails and messages almost every single day from people saying, Anna, I want to teach, but I'm worried. How do I start? Where do I begin? What do I price? And, and am I really teaching my own competition? Well, I, I, I don't understand that philosophy. I never, those thoughts never crossed my mind when I went into teaching. I think for me, it was a little bit different because, you know, I saw my mom teach others my whole life. That was her whole thing was teaching and educating other people. My sister is a teacher. There are lots of other strong women in my family that were teachers. And so I was kind of raised in an environment that when you learn, you teach. My mom and I shared a love for Maya Angelou. And, you know, one of the quotes Maya said before her own passing was, when you learn, you teach. So I was kind of raised in that environment. So when I started teaching, I didn't really have those thoughts, to be honest with you. But yet... Photographers ask me almost every single day, hey, I think I want to teach. People are asking me to teach, but I haven't started teaching because fill in the blank. One, am I good enough to teach? I'm still learning, so why would I teach? Number two, I'm afraid of what to charge for teaching, and I don't really know what. Do I underprice it, overprice it? You know, the pricing is always an issue, regardless of whatever you're doing. And I'm afraid of teaching my competition, which is super silly, because imagine if every teacher and every professor ever said that, we'd get nowhere. 
We wouldn't get anywhere. The whole point of teaching has nothing to do with competition. In fact, you should be confident in understanding that people are going to choose photographers for several factors. Their work, maybe their personality, maybe their location, maybe their price. And so if you're teaching somebody you want to teach and pass on the knowledge and understanding that you've learned so that they in turn can do it correctly, especially when we're dealing with babies, right? A lot of people are nervous of wrapping a baby and hurting a baby. And, you know, what if the light falls over and is, is the light even harmful for a baby? And, and is the wrap too tight for a baby? And how long can a baby be wrapped? How are they supposed to figure any of this out if no one teaches anybody anything? There really aren't that many books on newborn photography. There's a few, but not a lot. And so how is anybody supposed to learn? So if anyone who knows anything, we all just say, we're not going to teach because we're too afraid to teach our competition or we're afraid we don't know enough, but yet we're doing the work and we're working every day. So we must know something. Then how is the next generation ever supposed to learn how to do anything? If, if no one wants to teach, I just, I just don't understand it. If you want to teach, teach. That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you're amazing. That doesn't mean you're the best. That means that you want to share what knowledge you have with others. That's it. I don't wake up every day and say I'm amazing. I'm the best. I don't think I've ever said those words. Maybe other people have said that about me, but I certainly don't wake up every day and say that. I say, gosh, I learned how to do this. I should teach others. Or, gosh, I really figured out the way that I should market for the fall is in the spring. I should let others know how to do that. And so I teach. I teach everywhere. I teach online. I teach in person. I'm starting a new coaching program where I'm taking eight photographers in different groups and coaching them through six weeks. I just announced a summit that I'm going to be doing for free on my 25th work anniversary, which is going to be July of 2024, where I'm inviting all of the members that are in my online members group at members.annabrandt.com for a free two-day summit in person. Why am I doing that? Several reasons. Number one, I thought it'd be a great way to celebrate being 25 years in the business. And 2024 seems like it's a hundred years away, but we all know it's not. And we all know how fast time goes. Number two, I have a group of amazing photographers that are in my certified training program that have committed to learning my training process so they can go and train others. And it's going to take me a good year to get them trained and up to speed. So that's a perfect way to get them involved in training by having them help out in 2024. I wanted to also give back to the photography community and some of the members in my membership group have been around with me for over 10 years or more. And I thought, how can I give back and get people together in a non-competitive environment, but just learning and growing. And that's why we do these summits. And that's why I travel the world. And I say all the time that I sleep on planes and trains and taxis, not so that I can make new friends around the world. That's a bonus, 
but so that I can pass on the knowledge that I have because people come to me constantly and they say, Anna, I want to be a baby photographer. I want to be a maternity photographer. I want to raise a family. I want to work. I want to do this. I want to travel. I want to teach. You can do all of those things. And it's not that I have the secret potion or the recipe. It's just, I've been doing it solid for 23 years. And it doesn't mean that I haven't had fears. I've had fears. I've had failure. I've had tears. I've had all sorts of things. But the more that I learn, the more I think, gosh, I can teach this and I can pass this on because newsflash, I'm not going to be around forever and neither are you. And people always say, oh, how do you do all that you do? And how do you get everything done? And why do you do so much? And I say all the time that I'm still alive and I'm going to do as much as I can because I'm still waking up every day. And there's a lot of people that didn't wake up today. And maybe you know somebody that didn't wake up today. And if that's the case, I'm super sorry for your loss because I know what it feels like to lose somebody that is a dear part of your life. It's, it's just doesn't make things okay. But what it should make is the reality that you're still here. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're still here. So as long as you're here on this earth, why aren't you doing the work that you're supposed to be doing? And then you may say, well, Anna, how am I supposed to know what work I'm supposed to be doing? I don't know. Neither did I. I haven't, I didn't know what my career was going to do or that I was going to go to 35 countries or that I was going to be one of the most recognized baby photographers in the world or that I was going to be raising three creative kids that I have to show them how to go out in the fear and use their own creative creative talents. I didn't know any of this. I wanted to photograph babies because I like babies. The rest that happened was me listening to my gut, me following the path that I felt was laid before me, that still continues to lay before me, that I hear in the quiet time of the day when I'm trying to understand what the next thing I'm supposed to be doing. And there's so many times where I'm like, no, I don't want to do this, or I don't want to go there, or no, I just don't want to do this. I just want to stay home and crawl into the covers. But I feel called to do what I'm going to do, so I do it. And so many of you are not doing things because you're afraid. What exactly are you afraid of? I just don't understand if you're so afraid why you're going to let that hold you back until what? Until what? And then you're going to be at the end of your days and you're going to be laying in bed and you're going to be like, I wish I would have do this. I'm not going to live with regret. It's just not going to happen. My grandpa lived till he was 97 years old and I looked into the eyes till almost the day he passed. And he came from Norway with $5 in his pocket on a ship because my brother Steven loves to look up different records and things and found the receipt online that my grandpa had of how much money he had in his pocket when he came to this country. And he was married and built this family out of nothing, out of $5. And there's millions of stories like my grandfather. And, you know, before my mom passed, she had told me that him being raised in Norway many, many, many years ago. And so my grandpa passed, gosh, he, my grandpa passed over 30 years ago. So we're talking like 120 years ago. Norwegians and Puerto Ricans didn't hang out together. It just didn't happen. And so before my mom had passed, she, we were talking about my grandfather, her dad, and she said, you know, he was raised to not talk to people with brown skin. Could you imagine that? 
Why? Fear, I'm sure. Fear of, oh my gosh, this person has brown skin. They're so different uh, we shouldn't talk to them. What? I mean, don't even get me started about racism. That's a whole other topic. But the fear holds us back because someone's different, because they have different skin color or different hair color, or they speak a different language. So we're afraid to reach out to them and afraid to talk to them because why exactly? And so my grandfather who was raised, oh, we don't really talk to people of brown skin, but my mom whispered in her last days of life and said, but you were his favorite. And I said, and he was mine. And I hope he's up above in the heavens watching down on me because he was my biggest champion. I would be in trouble at school. I would be like, you know, suspended and grounded for like a month. And he'd be like, oh, Anna Maria, you're so smart. And I'd be like, yeah, well, grandpa, I'm like grounded again. And he'd be like, I know, but you're so smart. And I'd be like, yeah, mm, I don't really think mom and dad agree. You should have a little talk with them. And my grandpa would watch us. He was kind of our main babysitter. And he would come with this camper on my dad's property, my parents' property. They lived They had a house upstate on seven acres and my grandparents would come with this camper. We have so many photos of this camper on our property and they would hang out for weeks at a time and they would babysit us and cook for us. And he made these amazing Norwegian pancakes and oh my gosh, he would tell stories because that was the generation that would tell story after story. And we found out long after he passed that my grandmother had been recording these stories. So we actually have tapes of my grandpa telling us these stories. And there were stories of him conquering fear and him doing things. And he loved to pass on stories. And what was the purpose of my grandfather's stories? Have you ever listened to people's stories, especially grandparents' stories? They're so amazing. What is the purpose of their stories? And I wish more people told stories. It was to show you that these things are possible. The stories were how they got over the fear and the challenges in their life. And they passed on their stories to the next generation and the next generation. So we could go, wow, grandpa, you did that? You came from Norway to America by yourself with five bucks? Weren't you afraid? Yes, yes. But he did it anyway. And he built an amazing family. And here his family is still multiplying. And my first nephew is getting married this October. And it's, I remember when my nephew Joshua was born, he's the first baby I ever photographed and now he's getting married. And I remember when he was born, how proud my grandpa was. And it was the first time I had seen a grandfather, a father, the son and the grandson, four generations at one time being an adopted child. I had never seen that. So Joshua being the first grandson into our family was very, very special. It's very special for my grandfather, for my dad, for my brother, and for me being adopted into this family and seeing how it is possible to build the family and legacy and have children. And it's one of the reasons why I love photography today. I remember Joshua sitting there in his diaper on my Aunt Tante Jean's deck. I, I have this photo in my memory and I know it's in our book somewhere. Like it was yesterday and now he's getting married. What if the fears held my grandpa back in Norway? What if the fears of him talking to a brown girl, what if he never allowed my mom to adopt me into this family? I wouldn't be here talking to you today or traveling to 35 countries. 
So I can't understand fear so much. I think that you need to acknowledge it and you need to accept it. And you may say, but Anna, you can't just, you know, will it out of the way. No, you can't. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we all have fear, but the successful people do it anyway, right? If you talk to Anthony Robbins or Oprah Winfrey or Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, you name the person that you look up to. Those are a few people that I look up to and listen to and ask if they have fear. I'm pretty sure they're going to tell you a million stories that said, yes, I was scared out of my mind, but I did it anyway because fill in the blank. They were compelled. They needed to. There was a strong desire to. In the photography industry, so many times I'll say to people, why didn't you come to the summit? I ran a three-day summit in California. I ran one in New York. I've done four of them. I'm going to do countless others. Why didn't you come? Oh, I was afraid. Afraid of what? Oh, I didn't know anybody. Or I was afraid to get on a plane. Or I was afraid I didn't have enough money. Fill in the blanks. But then I meet Falguni who came from India to the U.S. by herself to the very first summit. And then did it again. And then on her third time, she was able to meet Angedis, who was our keynote speaker. And now she can direct message Angedis. And she just recently said to Anne, hey, I'm in New York. Do you want to get together? And she did. And she got together with Anne. Who can say that in their career? How many photographers can say, yeah, I called up Anne Geddes and said, hey, I'm local. Do you want to sit down and have coffee? And Anne said, Yes. One of the first baby photographers in the world to pioneer our industry. Who can say that? Had Felguni not gotten on that plane and traveled from India by herself and left her husband and son to a summit from this photographer that she just heard on YouTube, would she be having coffee with Ann Geddes years later? No, of course not. Of course not. Anne invited me to dinner at her house a couple of years ago. And would I have been sitting there having dinner at her house that her husband made for me had I not reached out to Anne to speak at my conference? And not many of you know this, but I had actually emailed Anne to speak at my conference and she never replied. And so I just assumed that she was too busy or she would never reply to me. And so I kind of gave up the idea. And then nine months later, I was speaking at the Texas school and I was alone in my room. And I remember I was terrified to go speak at the Texas school and it was going to be a week and I was going to be by myself. I'd never done anything like this. And I said, yes. And so here I am and I'm by myself in my hotel room and I'm like, I should email Anne one more time. Why? I don't know. She didn't respond to my first time, but... I also didn't think I'd come and teach in a conference by myself for a week and I'm doing that and I'm sitting in a hotel room by myself, nothing else to do. Why not? And I did. And I got a response back. And when I started talking to her people and then ended up talking to Anne and I said, you know, this wasn't the first time I emailed. She said, please send me that email because I don't recall seeing it. And so who knows where it went, but had I never emailed her again, She would have never spoke at my conference. I would have never had dinner at her place because I would have been too afraid to email her again. 
How many times has that happened to you where you've maybe reached out to somebody? I know I know people have said that about me. They've reached out to me and they've sent me an email and I haven't replied and they were afraid to say something again, but I never got it. It wasn't that I was ignoring them. I just didn't receive the email. We all know about these emails. They go to Never Neverland. They go to spam. They go to junk. And so someone doesn't reply. And then we assume, we assume they're ignoring us. We assume they're not paying attention. What about assuming that maybe they didn't get it and try again? But fear holds us back in so many different ways. You're afraid to have a new relationship because the last one hurt you so bad. Well, wake up. That's what happens. You get hurt in relationships. So now you have a choice. So let's just never love again. Let's just never go out again. Let's just never open our heart up again because we already hurt once. And then what? You're just alone forever? What's the point? What is the point? I love love. I love relationships. I think they can be amazing. Are they scary? Of course. But what's the alternative? Just sitting home alone and not loving? I mean, what is the point? We're afraid of failing, and yet we're also afraid of succeeding. So we make excuses. We're afraid of what others think. Really? But then when our children come to us and they say they're afraid of something, what do we tell them? Oh my gosh, you got to try. You got to get out there. I'm afraid of getting on stage. What if I fail? What if I forget my lines? What if kids make fun of me? But what if you don't? And what if you get up there and what if you do remember your lines and you get a standing ovation? And what if that school play leads you to Broadway 20 years later? So let's just go. So when we're parents, it's so easy to just, you know, put out all of our motivational speeches and say, you got this, you can do it. I know you fell and tripped in soccer, but you can do it again. Let's go again. And we're the coaches and we're the cheerleaders. But yet when we're alone in our room and we look in the mirror, what do we say to ourselves? You can't do this. Who do you think you are? You can't get on a plane. You can't teach. You can't charge this much. You can't wrap a baby. The last baby cried. You can't do photo sessions. No one's paying you. That client didn't book you. She chose someone else. You must not be good enough. And it goes on and on and on. And then we believe it. And if that happens, and then the child knocks on the door and says, mom, dad, I need help with something. I'm afraid I'm going to fail the test. And then you put your cheerleading uniform back on and you're like, you got this. And then the child passes their test. They're super excited. They're hugging you and they're loving you. Thanks thanks so much. And you feel so rewarded because you did the job that you're to do. And then you go back in the mirror and you look at yourself and there come those words again. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. Who do you think you are? Might be time to get a new mirror. Do you see what I'm saying? When are you finally going to stop making excuses and doing it anyway? Because you have no idea what lies ahead of your future. And this goes to whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. How many times do you read articles about people who put screenplays out and the screenplays were rejected? Or the books and the publishers turned the book down. And they kept submitting it and they kept submitting it and they kept submitting it until someone picked it up. And then it wins like all these awards and you see this person and they've won all these awards for their book or for their screenplay. And you're like, wow, that person must be so successful. And then people start interviewing them and they say, yeah, I was turned down 55 times. And you're like, wait, what? And you kept going? I would have given up after the second or third try. Oh, but they're special. They were meant to be J.K. Rawlings, right? They were meant to be Michelle Obama. They were meant to be that person, right? 
but what about you? Aren't we all here for a special reason, a special purpose? But if we're never, we're never going to know what that is because we're too afraid to figure it out. I got to tell you, I've heard every excuse under the book about everything. Whether it's photographers trying to raise their prices, afraid if they raise their prices, no one's going to hire them. Or they want to teach, but they're afraid that they aren't worthy enough to teach. And then if they do decide to teach, what if the teaching doesn't go well to people not wanting to bring their baby into a photo session because they're worried that their baby's going to cry or they're worried their baby's going to get sick and they have this new baby, so you don't want to leave the house. I don't blame you. Who would want to leave the house in COVID? My gosh, I'm so grateful I didn't have a baby in COVID. I'd probably never want to leave the house because we want to protect them. But then we all know that kids need to be exposed to germs so that they can build up their immune system. We're told that, right? And then you send your child off to preschool and they're sick for like six months. And you're like, really? Really? And so then you say, oh, I'm just going to homeschool them because I don't want to get them sick. And so I'm just going to keep them home. And so you do. And maybe that's the plan. Maybe you were supposed to homeschool and maybe they're better for it. But the point is that fear is not supposed to be driving you, right? Fear is constantly holding us back. And it happens to every single person, not every single day. Some of us push the fears and do it anyway. But all too many of us, myself included, allow that fear to become an excuse for not doing something. And if you don't want to do it, just just man up and say, I don't want to do it. Don't make excuses. Just say, I don't want to. Try that. You ever hear a kid go, I just don't want to do that? I hear it all the time from my own children. Do this. No, I just don't want to. Okay, but why? Well, because I don't want to do this because of this, this, and this. Well, let me give you all the reasons why you should do it. And they may just look me in the eye and go, but I don't want to. Okay, well, then you don't want to. Then then don't. Olivia, my middle child growing up was terrified of going to parties and events. If you told her she had a birthday party, she would like cry for three days. This is a fact. And if Olivia's listening to this one day, she'll know. She'll remember. She'll say, yeah. She just had so much anxiety about going to birthday parties. And Olivia had these very long legs. And I put her in dance class very early. She was four. And all the kids would get on stage and Olivia would literally walk backwards in her tutu off the stage. Fact. And I would be the parent sitting there in the auditorium going, oh my gosh, that's my daughter literally walking backwards off the stage. Okay. Now, if you ever watched a dance performance with little kids, it's hilarious. Some kids are wandering. Some will literally put their back to the crowd. I mean, it's like the cutest, funniest thing you've ever seen until you realize it's your child walking backwards off the stage in a tutu. I actually took her out of dance because I thought, I don't even know why I put her in dance. Maybe she's not a dancer. But she had these really long legs, these legs that put me in back labor And I wanted, she didn't really have good posture and I really wanted her to have good posture and I wanted her to own her height if she was going to be tall. I didn't know. She seemed like she was. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to put her in gymnastics, but she wouldn't go. She would not go to gymnastics. She would not go to gymnastics class because she was terrified. She had terrible anxiety as a child. So she would only go if her sister Ava went. And that was kind of her whole thing with everything. She would only go if Ava would go. 
And so Ava being younger would kind of do whatever Olivia told her to do, but she would not go to a class. So I go to the gymnastics place and I say, I want to put my daughter in a private gymnastic lesson. And they say, well, we don't do that unless you're in a group class. Okay. Well, now I have a problem because I have a child. I think she was like seven or eight at the time who does not want to go to class, but I need to put her in something. And she's literally walking backwards off the stage. We tried soccer. That didn't work. She liked the cutie uniforms, but she didn't like it. She's got it. Something has to happen with this child. Why? I don't know, but I just knew something had to happen. So the instructor says, well, if you'll sign up for a group class, we can put her in private. I go, again, that's not happening. So I will pay any amount of money, but let her do a private. It would actually be a semi-private with her and her daughter. I'll bring them three times a week if I have to. Can we at least do that for a few months till she's comfortable with this environment? And then I can get her to take a class. And I had to beg the gymnastics school to let me do that. And they said, okay. And they went twice a week and sometimes three times a week, her and her sister, private gymnastics training. That private gymnastics training led her to take group classes, led her to get back into dance and get back on the stage. When she ended up getting point shoes and competing in point, she was terrified. And that fear started setting back again. And all the other girls have been on point much earlier than she had been on point. She was late to be on point shoes. Well, if you look at Misty Copeland, I don't think Misty Copeland even got into it till I think she was in her teens. I think she was 12 or 11. I can't remember, but it definitely wasn't five or six, like a lot of dancers. Now, Misty wasn't part of the conversation at the time, but I said, it doesn't matter. You can put point shoes on at any time. But I knew that when she finally had her point shoes, she felt late to the game because a lot of other girls in her class had already had their point shoes for years. And so now, now we're at a struggle. Now she's been dancing for a few years. She's going into competition. I need to get her back on stage in point, but I can't do that because she's not willing to. She's terrified again. And now we're back in the fear all over again. So I decided I was going to have to get a private coach again. And I started interviewing private coaches and she didn't like any of them. I was like, we, we've got to do something. I'm reaching out to the dance school. She needs more training. She needs something. I finally interview a woman named Jasmine. And I think, I think this might be the girl. And Jasmine meets Olivia and Olivia meets Jasmine. And a relationship is formed. Jasmine has now been helping us for years. Olivia is now in college and doesn't compete anymore. And Jasmine still works with Ava. Jasmine is the reason Olivia got on stage on point shoes. And when Olivia had her final competition day, and I'll never forget the day we were sitting in the parking lot on her last day of solo competition. And her coach from her dance school said she wasn't going to be there. And in addition, none of the other dancers from her dance school were going to be there. And Olivia was the only dancer. And we're sitting in the car and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? She's not going to get on stage. And she starts crying and no one really knows this story. And no one really understands that moment in the car ride. We're actually not in the car, we're sitting in the parking lot. And it's just Olivia and I, and I don't know what to do. And the fear is so strong that I'm thinking, I, I don't know what to do. Do I, do we just drive home? 
I have this daughter that's terrified. She has her final solo performance and we're alone. I can't help her the way the proper coach can. And so I snuck my phone to the side of my lap and I texted Jasmine, her private coach. And I explained in the short few seconds that I had the situation. And in the short few seconds, Jasmine had to respond. She said, I'm on my way. And I will never forget that day. And I know Olivia won't either. When Jasmine made it backstage minutes before Olivia was to go on stage, to be there for her, to support her, to be her cheerleader, to be her coach and to get her on that stage. And I sat there in the dark auditorium watching her compete for her final solo competition on point. And had we allowed fear to take over from way back when she was four to now years later as a 17-year-old competing on stage, and if we had allowed all of the million situations over those years, the dozens of years, the birthday parties, the competitions, so many stories Olivia and I have together of fear. And one, I remember Olivia said one time, one of her youth, um, she went to youth group. This youth leader told Olivia a quote that said, you can do hard things. And I believe that quote was given to Olivia when she had just left private school and she was going to public high school and she was involved with this youth group and she was very nervous about being in a public high school. And this youth leader said, you can do hard things. And every once in a while, Olivia and I look at each other when things get really rough or she's nervous and I'll just look at her and say, you can do hard things. Do you see my point? We all have stories of fear. And so sharing our stories, teaching others, coaching others, getting through our own fears is all part of the process. This is all part of this life and all part of this journey. And whether or not you're a parent or not, if you're single and you're not directly responsible for coaching or teaching someone else's life, fear sets in all of us all throughout times of the day. Sometimes when we're least expecting it, sometimes in situations where we think we're so prepared and then at the 11th hour, we're like, no, I'm terrified. But when exactly do you say I'm going to do it anyway? When? I'm hoping that many of you have said, I'm hoping that many of you will say, Anna, this happened recently and guess what? I did it anyway and look where it got me. I would love to hear those stories. And if you have them, feel free to reach out and send them to me. Email me. Anna at AnnaBrent.com. You can find my email anywhere. Anna at AnnaBrent online. Send me a message. Send me a DM and say, Anna, yeah, I had a situation and I did it anyway and I didn't let fear stop me. I would love to hear those stories because we all have them. Or if you're in a place where fear is holding you back, whatever it is, and you know, I'm a photographer, so I talk to photographers, but there's a lot of photographer people that aren't into photography listen to this podcast. And I think that fear knows no bounds, right? But at what point are you going to just do it anyway? Just do it anyway. So hopefully something I've said resonates with you guys. I really am very passionate about the work that I'm doing. 
I love my clients. I love being a baby photographer. It's the greatest job on the planet. I love being a mother. I can imagine a greater responsibility than being a mother to three amazing, thriving, growing, creative children that their futures are so bright. I I hope I live all the days that I can so I can see all that they're going to achieve. And if I can stress to them and to everybody else listening to them that we're all human and that we all have fears. But if we woke up today, if you woke up today and you're listening to this podcast, you're here, you're alive. Let's do the work. Let's do the job. Let's do what we're called to do because otherwise, what's the point, guys? What's the point? I don't get it. I just don't get allowing fear to take over our lives in a way that it takes away the very thing that you were born to do. Wouldn't that be a sad story? Doesn't mean you're not going to fail. I fail all the time. Just ask my kids. They'll probably give you a whole rap sheet of all the times I've failed. All the time. And I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to fail at like the next 10 things I do. But you know what? I'm going to get up and do it anyway. That's the point, right? I'm Anna Brent. Thanks for listening. Did you like this podcast? We would love it if you gave my mom a kind review and reach out to her. To learn more about Anna, visit AnnaBrandt.com. You can find out about her education opportunities at AnnaBrandtEducation.com.